0: Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile so said the most powerful man in the world. And that is why Moses, he shouldn't even have existed. He shouldn't have ever seen the light of day. Because the most powerful man in the world said, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. In other words, you must, you must kill them, because I say so. Except Moses' mother Uh, She devised a plan, and God blessed it, and God blessed it greatly. And her plan was this. She would hide Moses for a few months, then she'd make a basket, and she'd put him in the Nile, sure, but in a basket that floated. And she'd send him down the river, and she hoped, she prayed, that someone would take him in. And sure enough, someone did. The daughter of the man who ordered that Moses be killed and every other Hebrew boy. And the plan was so amazing because Pharaoh's daughter took this little boy in, but she she couldn't care for him. He was an infant. He was only a couple months old. And so Moses' own mother got paid to babysit him. And then when the time was right, she gave him back to Pharaoh's daughter and Moses grew up as a royal in the household of Pharaoh himself, the man who said, that he should never even see the light of day. And when Moses grew up, some people would say that he had an identity crisis. And I would say, if he did, that is a wonderful thing. Here's what Hebrews 11 says about Moses and his identity. And as you listen to these words, I want you to listen and See which part to you sounds the most crazy. Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 through 28. It says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. That's God's word. So what's the craziest part? Was it that he chose to be mistreated? Whoever chooses to be mistreated, like you have the option not to be mistreated, but then you choose to be mistreated. No one does that. Or maybe it was this, that he regarded disgrace as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt. Like over here being disgraced, which means to, to fall out of favor or to fall out from a position of power or honor. It means to be disqualified. Like on one hand, disgrace. On the other hand, all the treasures of Egypt, which was the most powerful place in the world. And he was in the most powerful family in the most powerful known nation. And he chose disgrace. Who does that? Disgrace is not a good thing falling from honor or from a position. Like when I think disgrace, I I think a couple of years ago there was a gymnastics doctor in Michigan, his name was Larry Nasser, and he supposedly was helping out gymnasts, but actually he was doing horrible, horrible things for decades. And now he's disgraced. Or I think of the Hollywood guy, Harvey Weinstein disgraced. If I did something that was so horrible that it disqualified me, that I wasn't fit from serving as a pastor anymore, that would be bad. That would never be something that anyone would ever choose. And yet there it is. And I think this is the most crazy part. He chose disgrace as of more value than all the treasures of Egypt. But maybe you noticed I left out a phrase. He chose disgrace for the sake of Christ. Would disgrace be a good thing if, say, you get disgraced in your workplace um, or with a friend or in a friend group because you don't just share the news about Christianity in heaven, you also necessarily share the news It's much less fun to hear, but the news that there's a hell and it exists and it's real. Or if to your friend, you love her or him in a tender way, but also in a tough way, because love is both tough and tender. And you love him or her enough to say, hey, what you're doing, God says it's wrong. What if you suffer disgrace in that way for the sake of for the sake of Christ, yeah. Then disgrace would be a valuable thing, and and that's that's what Moses did. Now, now, when I tell you to uh, love someone enough to point out that what they're doing is wrong, I'm not telling you to be a jerk. I'm not telling you not to care. I'm not telling you not to have a lot of tact, and I'm not telling you to be without grace. I heard in a sermon I was listening to earlier this week that Jesus. He perfectly loved and he was perfectly tough and tender. And if you look at almost any page of Jesus's entire ministry, he was both tender in his love and tough in his love at the same time. And he did it perfectly. We never will, but but that's what we have to strive for. Disgrace for the sake of Christ. And the thing is, it wasn't even like Moses, like the Bible doesn't say that It's the eternal reward that he regarded as as more value. He was looking forward to that, yes. But it says he actually valued the being disgraced as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt. That's, That's crazy. How could he do that? How could he give up his identity as Pharaoh's grandson To be disgraced. How could he persevere? Hebrews gives us the simple answer. It says, He saw, Moses saw him who is invisible. Now, you could say that Moses saw him who is invisible in Exodus chapter 3 when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Actually, more accurately, the bush that wouldn't ever burn up. Moses saw this bush, was drawn to it, he heard God speaking to him, but God was invisible. There wasn't like a face in the fire or anything. But in in an even greater and broader sense, Moses saw him who is invisible because with eyes of faith, he saw what hadn't happened yet. He knew God's promises, and even though he couldn't see them, he couldn't see them even happening in front of his eyes, he saw with the eyes of faith that even though they hadn't happened yet, that they were true and that they would happen. And that is how Moses could persevere through all of this. How, how he could persevere, again, through disgrace. I have to think that the people of Egypt, they not only disgraced Moses, they also pitied him, which is like the worst combination. Like, they look at Moses and say, oh, Moses, what, like, poor guy. You, you could have had everything. You could have been someone. You could have been, who knows the power that you could have had in, in Egypt, but Moses, man, like, what were you thinking you chose to leave here and you went out into the desert for 40 years and then you came back and now you're like the self-proclaimed leader of all the slaves? Okay. And now you're doing little magic tricks in front of Pharaoh? Ooh. Okay. You you might think you're special but Moses, we mostly just feel pity for you cuz Moses, you're a nobody. But there's more. The last verse says Moses, by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Now, real quick here. This is a reference to the 10th out of 10 plagues. And it was the one that was going to end all the plagues. After this one, Pharaoh would finally say, okay, Israelites, you get out of here. Moses, take them. I never want to see you ever again. And death was going to touch every single household in the whole land. God gave a way out. He said, hey, Moses, tell the people, take a sacrificial lamb, take its blood, paint it on your doorframe, and that's your way out. That's your exodus, which is, it means way out. That's your way out of death. That's the way that that when the destroyer of of all people, the giver of death comes, he will pass over your house by putting the blood on your doorframe. And I can't, I can't go on without telling you that there was a greater Moses. Jesus was the greater Moses who proclaimed to you and, and did it himself. He took his own blood because Jesus was the sacrificial lamb and Jesus was the one who took his own blood and painted it on the doorframe of your life so that you are free from the one who can destroy both body and body and soul so that you can be absolutely certain that death will pass over you too. And that is what is your identity, your better identity, your greatest identity, someone that God loves and someone that death has passed over because Jesus put his blood, I'll make the sign again, because Jesus put his blood on your doorframe. So, Get rid of your identity. What does that mean? Get rid of all your identities. Now I'm tempted to say uh, that that's almost an overstatement in a way, that you should get rid of of your identity. But it's not. It's not an overstatement. Um, Get rid of your identity. Every identity that you have that you find value in, that you find your value in, except for your identity in Christ. Get rid of every other identity you find value in. Don't pay attention to it at all. And it's not an overstatement. Listen to this, if I I find my value in being a good father, which I try to be, then what happens in those moments or those longer periods of time when I'm not a good father? Or what about if I find my value and importance an identity and being a good father, but but God for some reason chooses to take away my children? Or what if he never let me have children in the first place? Or what if it's not part of God's plan that I was ever to get married? What happens then if I find my value and importance in being a good father? I'm left empty. Get rid of every one of your identities That you find your value in, except for when you find your value in Jesus. Over the past couple weeks, I've read this book. You can't see it, it's colorful. It's called Vocation. It's by a guy named Mike Berg. I've read it and I've reread it, almost all of it, which I don't usually do. But here's one thing that he said in the book He said, You are valuable not because of your last name, your salary, or your position, but because of Christ. First of all, in your baptism identity as one redeemed by Christ crucified, and second, you are valuable as a co-worker with God in his economy of love. You're valuable not because of who you are, you're valuable because of whom God has made you. You're valuable because Jesus loves you. And that is the only identity, the only value that will never, ever go away. Jesus has washed you clean of sin. Who am I? I could ask the kids, who are you? I'm someone that Jesus loves, that Jesus washed me clean. I'm a lot of other things too, but that's the only thing that will never go away and that will never let me down, that will never let anyone else down. And that is exactly what we heard in Colossians 3 earlier. Listen to how strongly this is said. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died. Like that is like, that is a curse word to anyone who is going through life ruminating on the question, who am I? Or trying to find value. The Bible says you died and your identity is hidden with Christ in God. It says here there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. And I'll add now, Here there is no father or mother, patient or doctor, teacher or student, popular or loser, family or friend, mother or daughter. There is none of that. Now back to the Bible, but Christ is all and is in all. So just stop thinking about yourself. The question, who am I, is not an inherently selfish or bad question, but it can so easily become selfish. Who am I? Because it's about us, and and no matter what happens in life, we always tend to be focused on us. And let me tell you, almost all, if not all, of your worry and stress and anger and frustration, it comes because you're thinking about yourself. When you're just thinking about serving others or you're thinking about how much God has loved you, there's no anger or worry or stress or frustration in that. It almost all comes because you're thinking about yourself. And this self-identity is so powerful, it's laughable, but in a bad way. Take me, for example. This week, I was down Cherry Road at the Plasma Center. And as I'm sitting there, and by the way, while I'm there, I'm reading this book. And then I look up and I start comparing myself to other people because uh, you fill up the, the plasma donation bottle quicker if you're more hydrated. And let me tell you, I did a great job of hydrating myself. And I look around and I notice, ooh, they got here before me, but I'm way further along than they are. And then I, and then I realize and I think, what are you doing? Why, why are you trying to find your value in how quickly you can fill up a plasma bottle by comparing yourself with other? That is ridiculous. And I kept on reading, and I repented, and I was forgiven. And then 10 minutes later, when I looked up, I did it again. It's ridiculous. In this book, I, he, he talks about when, when you're driving down the road, and someone's going faster than you, and you make up an excuse for why they're going fast and why you're good for not going fast. Or when you're going fast, because you have places to be, you make up excuses for how you're important and you have some place to get, so how dare they drive slow? And no matter what, you're just thinking about yourself and constantly comparing yourself to others because you want to find your value and your identity in self. You can do this with every single aspect of life. This is what we always fall back to. And it's ridiculously bad. And we all struggle with it. Every human in history has struggled with it. Except for one. In the greatest act of love history has ever seen, Jesus gave up his identity. And I'm echoing Hebrews 11 here. When I say Jesus refused to be known as simply God, who stayed away from the world. He refused to be known as just God. He he regarded disgrace... On the cross for your sake as of greater value than everything. Jesus assumed the identity of sinner so that you would have the identity of saint. He took all of your guilt and identified with all of it so that you would identify with his perfection every single day of your life, even when you, in a laughably bad way, compare yourselves to others and try to find your value and identity in yourself. The greatest act of love the world has ever seen. You don't have to please God. When you're going through each day, don't think in terms of, how can I please God today? It doesn't even need to be a concern of yours because God is already pleased with you. Martin Luther said it this way, God doesn't need your good works, your neighbor does. God doesn't need your good works, your neighbor does. In the book, Mike Berg put it this way. He said, we work for God's glory when we are so free from pleasing God that we get lost in loving our neighbors. And he said in the quote earlier, that part of our identity is that you are a coworker with God in his economy of love. In other words, what's your identity? Number one, someone God loves. And number two, someone through whom God loves other people. Another way to say it is that you are God's mask. You, all of you as individuals, are what God puts on when he wants to show himself to the world. He shows himself through the Bible, but also he shows himself through you. And this gives incredible meaning and purpose to every single aspect of your life, even the ones that you think are the most mundane. Because every single other person, God is loving them through you. We have Moses as an example. God didn't just cause Pharaoh to say, hey, let those, let those Israelites go. No, God chose to work through Moses. And I could look out at all of you. Um, And I I wrote some examples down of how God does this through you. He provides for children through you. He loves children through you. He teaches students through you. He teaches teachers through you. He makes equipment that people use and blesses them in their lives through you. He does analysis that makes companies run better through you. He gives people rental equipment and insurance. He tucks kids into bed, through you. He makes sure there's food on the table and the clothes is folded and the dishes are put away, through you. He helps businesses attract customers through signs, through you. He administers medicine and helps people work through their difficulties, through you. God changes dirty diapers through you. He causes someone's day to be brightened when you say hi to them or smile at them from across the room. He causes someone to feel like they're remembered when they get a text or a phone call. He helps solve people's internet problems through you. We work for God's glory, not when we're concerned about pleasing God. You don't need to please God. He is completely pleased because you have the identity that Jesus gave you as someone who is perfect. So no matter what disgrace or mistreatment you might go through, refuse to be known as anything but this. Someone whom God loves and someone through whom God chooses to love every other single person around you. That's the greatest identity. Someone that God loves, and someone through whom God loves others. Amen.